Well, welcome. Um, I guess it was about four and a half years ago that my wife and I came here and one of the best decisions we've ever made. Uh, so impressed by this congregation and their, their love, their friendliness. And uh, we know that we support missionaries. So we know that even our children realize that the church is people and not, not a building. Uh, and I think we also realize that it's not just people that we hire to be uh, missionaries that are missionaries. And tonight we're going to be looking at uh, some, some members here who have taken out of their own time uh, to be missionaries, uh, to, uh, you know, with, with the help of this congregation, but uh, their own dedication. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy these, these videos that... Uh, that have been compiled to learn some of the work that's been done uh, this year in Africa uh, with uh, John Fuchs and with uh, Jim and Rachel McNeese and, and the ministries that they, they have which are, are making a big difference. So uh, watch these videos and see what you think. Well, I'm John Fuchs, was born in Washington, spent 40 years in Oregon been aware of missions, especially in Africa since I was a child, um, the Loy Mitchell family. And as a youth, young married in Portland, uh, we were able to help some with uh, Otis Gatewood, met him there, helped fuel some interest. And then I was able to make my first trip to Zimbabwe in 1999 to help dedicate a church building we had raised funds for. It was a number of years before I was able to return. But in the meantime, we were able to help facilitate 20,000 Bibles into Zimbabwe. And then after that, two containers, 40-foot containers of relief supplies from Portland into Zimbabwe, moving down to Abilene to make Global Seed Sowers a more effective ministry. We've been able to do more things in support of missions. Uh, up to 150 countries around the world have received visual teaching materials that we have provided and gifted. Well, making and growing disciples is not inherently or exclusively a local vision. It needs to go beyond that. As you are going, the Great Commission says, as you are going. So wherever we are going, we are to make disciples and baptize them. So it's assumed that disciples of Christ will be making disciples as they are going, whether it's in a local scenario or in a wider venue. Uh, two things. We returned to Mogesa in Kisi, Kenya this year to do another elders workshop. Last year, the workshop focused on selecting and recognizing and removing elders. So this year we focused on the servanthood nature of the eldership. And as part of that, we stopped and had a foot washing ceremony where elders washed each other's feet, including we washed some of the ladies' feet, which was a bit unusual in an African situation. So the message then came how effective do you think your spiritual advice would be among your congregations 
if you showed this kind of servanthood to your membership. So item two, probably one of the most impactful or moments, we went to the Kisi prison in Kisi, Kenya. We were ushered in to an area, <clears throat> 657 men crowded into a quite small area. Took me back for a few moments as I wasn't sure that I was emotionally prepared to share. <clears throat> but we went on, they sang a song or two, and then I shared a message of forgiveness and hope. Uh, if God could forgive Lot, if he could forgive Samson, if he could forgive the whore Rahab, if he could forgive David, he can forgive you. So I don't know what brought you here to this prison, but that's the beginning of your story. It need not be the end of your story. And at the end of that message, 60 to 70 men stood that they would like to receive baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. So it was a pretty emotional moment. You know, Paul to the Philippian church in chapter one, and then again in chapter four, thanks the church for their participation in remembering him as they supported him in his work. So those who send have an equal share with those who go. And I think we need to perhaps spend some time talking about that. Not everybody is able to go. I'm aware of men who've gone numbers of times. They're now 90 years old and can no longer go but they continue to have a part in the missions that have been in years before. I suppose as we share the stories of what has been done, um, returning to the South Sudan for the second time, a teacher came up there and said, two years ago when you were here, you said you would send or bring materials for my school. And I said, yes, we did. And I was able to go in and grab some teaching materials, it happened to be ABCs and numbers and things on a preschool level. So I said, here you are, promise fulfilled. The next day I returned to the school and she had just dismissed her children. And one of them came down there and sat by my feet and next to a, maybe her father or something and began writing her ABCs in the dirt. So the things that we do as we tell the stories make a difference and they touch lives. A number of years ago, some of us were in Zimbabwe at Mutari School preaching, and we were able to meet a half a dozen men whom Starfish Foundation in Wichita Falls were training to go back into the South Sudan to be ministers and to work in the vocational school and the primary school that they had helped establish. And I had told them then that I will come and visit you. They said, well, it's too dangerous. I said, I will come when I can. COVID intervened, and so 2021 was the soonest I could get back there and fulfill the promise to come and encourage those young and not so young preachers. When we have the ability to go and be of help, I think we have a responsibility to do so. So as long as we have the ability uh, to go and encourage and teach and disciples, I think that's part of our responsibility as a Christian. and the relationship with the congregations there, uh, willing and eager to receive those who can come and provide additional insights. 
at the uh, Adam to Adam conference the first Saturday I was there, men's leadership conference. I was asked to talk about male spiritual leadership and then talk about the uh, LGBTQXYZ challenges that are coming into their country. There were like 80 or 90 men there and they are eager for additional insights from those who are closer and have had time to study those things and present to them. Uh, for me, emotionally, it was being at Kesey Prison. I've been involved in prison ministry some in Oregon previously, but walking in and seeing 657 men sitting on the ground shoulder to shoulder, knees pulled up to make room for everybody, uh, and to see their response to the message of salvation. It's probably the single most meaningful recollection that I have. Other private conversations have meaning as well, but the greatest impact was probably Kesey Prison. If you're not able to go personally, you can do things to support those who are still able to go in the preparation of materials, finances, support work of different kinds, different logistics. Uh, ask for advice from those who have been there, have a contact there, and don't be afraid to go. God will, God will protect, God will provide. So every opportunity, uh, be willing to step out in faith, and God will use your effort for his common good and his glory. My wife, Rachel, and I moved to Nairobi, Kenya, to work with the Komarab Church of Christ, a congregation of about 100 members established in 1992, and former Oldham Lane member and Komarab women's minister, Carla Dean Thompson. Rachel had arranged to work with local women of the congregation, teaching them sewing skills as part of her Sowing the Seeds ministry a work she began almost 20 years ago, where she provides sewing machines and supplies to women in underdeveloped countries. After teaching them to sew, she leaves the machines and supplies for the women to start businesses and provide for their families. Oldham Lane funded 10 treadle machines for this trip. Carla Dean Thompson identified 10 women at Comorot to attend the seminar and receive a machine at the end. Rachel worked with Judith Otalo and George, a local tailor, instructing them on the use of the machines and basic sewing skills. They made pillowcases, tote bags, and aprons. Material for the tote bags was painted by Oldham Lane members Judith Wilson and Amy Williams. The ultimate goal is for attendees to sew professionally and make an income for their family. George agreed to continue teaching the women until they are proficient and can sew for the public. Four of the ladies have committed to this training that has already begun. While Rachel was teaching the workshop, the associate minister at Comorock, Joshua Touré, took me to four different schools where I spoke to the students 
and encourage them in their education and in their Bible studies, which are part of their curriculum. The kids were all extremely well-behaved and attentive to all I had to say. At the last school, an elementary kindergarten, I was actually mobbed by the kids. They all wanted to shake my hand, hug me, and touch my white hair. I also taught a men's class on Saturday and preached the sermon Sunday morning. Now let me introduce you to Ada, one of the workshop attendees. She is a 41-year-old single mother with a college-age daughter, Kristen. Ada is one of 57 children. Her dad was a polygamist with six women. Ada's mother herself had 17 children, of which nine are still alive. Ada took in eight of her nieces and nephews after two of her sisters passed away. She also cares for her sick brother for a total of 11 people in her tiny two-bedroom apartment. Ada and her daughter Kristen received one of the machines, and Kristen has committed to take more lessons from George to become a professional seamstress and help boost the household income. Thanks to the generosity of the Oldham Lane family, Ada, Kristen, and her family have a means of bettering their lives. Thank you, Oldham Lane, for being the hands and feet of Jesus. You are a blessing to our brothers and sisters at Comorock. all the work that is being done, and be sure to uh, thank them for their dedication. Will, will you bow with me as we uh, ask God to continue to bless uh, these really dedicated workers? Father, thank you so much for your love. We thank you for, for Jim and Rachel, and, and we thank you for John and their dedication, their love for you, and their love for the, for the gospel. And for helping people and we pray that you will continue to be with them in their work uh, making impact on people we thank you for the those that were touched um, by their work and by the the new christian uh, christians that we uh, have been added to your church please be with us all and and help us to realize that we are all to be responsible for carrying the gospel uh, into the world we pray this prayer in jesus name Amen. Um, in the closing of this, uh, I'd like to talk about um, baptism. And let's see if I can get out. There we go. Um, you know, we're familiar with, uh, you know, the things about verses, you know, that talk about, you know, repent and be baptized. And, and uh, as John talked about, you know, making disciples as we go and baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're familiar with Philip and the eunuch and uh, the day of Pentecost when uh, 3,000 were baptized, uh, Paul's conversion, you know, all, all of those things. But I'd like for us to, tonight, to look at a different, uh, uh, kind of starting in the Old Testament and looking how baptism was 
pointed to. You know, I don't know what it is about baptism that is such a sticking point for some people. Uh, it's like, you know, there's other things that we do. You know, like faith is something that continues. You know, we believe, but we have to continue to believe. We repent, we continue to repent. We confess, and we continue to confess. Uh, we live the Christian life. We continue to, to live the Christian life. Baptism is something we do once. But for some reason, this is such a sticking point with people who think that it's not necessary or that it's a work. Uh, even members of the church, sometimes they do it, but they don't exactly understand why uh, it's that important. And they don't see it as being that important. So I'd like in, for a few minutes here tonight uh, to, to go and maybe see a different reason uh, and how God kind of had this planned all along uh, having to do with baptism. Um, in the time of Jesus and, uh, you know, and before, there was what is called the mikvah. Uh, the word mikvah itself, there's a word that is pronounced the same way, but it has different letters. Uh, but mikvah uh, was something that they had, but it just is not spoken of in the Bible. And a mikvah was a purification pool. And it was something uh, that was very, very uh, important. There were 48 of them when you entered into the temple, just outside of the temple, uh, on the temple steps, uh, 24 for men and 24 for women. And if you were coming to the temple in order to offer for a sacrifice, uh, there were other reasons to come to the temple, to receive teaching or to go, to, there was a bank in the temple, um, there was, you know, change coins, things like that. But if you were going to offer sacrifices, uh, you were expected to go into this, these mikvahs, uh, disrobe, go down into the water yourself, and submerge yourself, get dressed and go uh, you know, up onto the temple uh, mount. Um, it, the water that flowed through was always flowing through these things. It, they, mikvahs needed to be something that had flowing water. And the water that came uh, through these mikvahs in Jerusalem were, was from uh, near Bethlehem. And there was an aqueduct that came, and uh, so it was continually uh, new water that was in there. And so in modern day, you know, coming into modern day, this is a modern day mikvah. It looks a lot like a baptistry, but it's designed a little bit different than a baptistry. It has a tank that lets in water, and it's got a, another tank that receives water. It can't be water that is colored. It can't be water that has any chlorine. Uh, Usually they uh, catch rainwater, which would be a problem for Jews here in, in uh, Abilene, I, I, I do believe, this year. Um, but what they do, you know, as it says, you know, bride and groom immerse themselves. Uh, the groom doesn't always do this, but the bride always does this before, uh, before she gets married. And this is to, as it says, wash away the single life in order to enter into the married life. And this is something that is done today among the Jews, and it is something that was done back at that time, too. It was a part 
of, uh, a lot of times it was done before the betrothal. And so this modern day uh, mikvah is something that, uh, you know, is, is a very important part. Uh, it's not something like our baptism. When someone is baptized, they are lowered into the water because it says for us to be baptized, which is a passive thing. Someone baptizes us. But this was something that they did on their own. So it was a little bit different from what our baptism is. Generally, you don't have people just come up here and, you know, duck under the water them, themselves. Now, the mikvahs at that time, um, here's a mikvah from that time. And this is the, from the Qumran community near the Dead Sea. And these are the people that the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, who made the Dead Sea Scrolls, and uh, we're very grateful to, to them. But they were so dedicated to writing the scriptures and being holy when they did that, that several times a day when they were copying the scriptures, they would go and they would dip themselves in the mikvah. And this was flowing water. They had a very elaborate system of, you know, holding water and allowing the water to, to always be flowing through this. So this is just a, a mile or two from, from the dead, dead Sea. The Essenes were the ones who did this. Um, but a, a mikvah could also be a river, any place that had uh, continually flowing water, or a, a lake was also something that was fine. So this brings us to a scripture. And this, you know, we, this is a picture of uh, Israel crossing the, uh, you know, the Red Sea. And in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Though they didn't get wet, um, they passed through this, and it was considered like a baptism uh, for them. Must have been an amazing thing. There's a Jewish story in, in the Talmud that a man named Nashon, uh, who, you know, Nashon was a part of Jesus's uh, lineage. Uh, Nashon had a son whose name was Salmon. Salmon married Rahab. Uh, Salmon and Rahab had a son named Boaz and continued on, you know, they, so this was in the line, the line of Christ. And the story goes that as the leader of Judah, when Moses, you know, put out, you know, his staff and the water was to, you know, saying that the, they were going to pass through it, that Nashon jumped into the water over his head because he trusted that God was going to part the river. The part the part the uh, Red Sea, and so he he was someone who trusted in God is what the what the Jews said, and so he was considered uh, he was the first one to to bring I think a uh, when 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 they were bringing uh, not scepters but uh, bringing incense before the Lord he uh, Judah was the first one to to do that. Now as we're you pro you may wonder why I'm, <laughs> why I'm going at this. There's a, this is an interesting thing. You know, a year after Sinai, 
a year after crossing over the Red Sea. Israel was ready to capture you know, uh, Canaan. And we know that they sent spies in there and 10 of the spies said, uh, we, can't, we can't take it. Two of them said, we can. Uh, but they, they rebelled and so they weren't allowed to take, when they did try to take it, they, they lost. So 39 years went by. And then instead of just attacking up into Canaan, they were still in the same place, Kadesh Barnea. They went north, not to Canaan. They turned to uh, the east, uh, just south of Beersheba. They were going to try to go through Edom, and Edom wouldn't allow them to do that. And so they went all the way down to Ezion Geber, which is the Red Sea, and then all the way up. And on the way up, Aaron died, and they buried him at Mount Hor. You can see you know, where, where that is. And, and entered by the other side. And it's interesting. You know, why would they do that? Well, the others had been baptized when they went through the, the Dead Sea. The new generation had not. And they had to pass through the waters too. They had to pass through a mikvah. They had, you know, in, when they were leaving Egypt, they were leaving Egypt in order to, uh, leaving slavery in order to become a nation. When they were passing over into the Jordan, they were leaving, they were leaving wandering, which is like us, in order to, to enter home just like us. So it, it's interesting because otherwise, you know, if, if they didn't have to cross the water, they could have just gone, gone north. So God was pointing to something. What's interesting is that when you, when you see Jesus was baptized right, right about the same place where, where they crossed the Jordan. Isn't that interesting? And why was he baptized? He didn't have any sin. You know, John, John was one who, you know, baptized for the repentance, you know, for repent, telling them to repent for the forgiveness of their sins, but Jesus didn't have any sins. It was because he was, he was preparing to be a groom. So the last, the last picture I want to show you here as we end this lesson. This is the only part of the original temple that you can put your feet on. When uh, this is the southern steps of the temple, the walls still remain from the temple, but nowhere else can you go, you know, even up on the temple mound, it's, it's all been changed in, in so many ways. Um, but this is the only part of the first temple that was in intact. When Neil Armstrong visited these steps and walked on them, and knew that Jesus, because you know that Jesus walked on these steps. He said, this is more important to me than when I walked on the moon. And you notice all that that's not steps in the middle. Those are the mikvahs. The 24 for men, the 24 for women, the place where 3,000 people were baptized. And I believe that this is where the apostles preached. I can, I can picture it. Uh, 
you know, I can picture them. This was, these were called the rabbi steps. And you can picture up there on those steps, Peter and all the other apostles standing. There's ton, there were tunnels, two tunnels on this side, and well, two tunnels on this side, you can still see. Three tunnels on, on the other side. And this is how you got up. You, you went to the mikvah, you dipped in the mikvah, you went up uh, onto the Temple Mount. And this is where the Holy Spirit left the temple. You can hear, imagine the wind coming down those, those tunnels. And, and the light, you know, the, the fire, or you know, the Holy Spirit coming upon the men and coming upon the church that, that day. And what an amazing day that must have been. You can see all the crowds out, out there on, on the top of it. 3,000 baptized that day. So when we look at all of this, when we think about the mikvahs, we think about Israel crossing through the, uh, you know, the Red Sea and then crossing the Jordan uh, during flood season, in fact. Uh, you know, it was, the water was high, and, and yet the water was stopped. We can see how he was pointing to these things in, his, in types. So what would you think of a bride you know, the people who have problems with baptism, what would you think of a bride who refused to say, I do? And what would you think of a bride who refused to sign the marriage certificate? It's, it's such a little thing. We are to wash off our singleness in order to take Christ on as our spouse. And if you've not done that, then you need to do that. If you've been unfaithful, as Israel oftentimes was unfaithful, God is always ready to take you back. If you need prayers for some other uh, reason, we hope that you'll come forward as we stand and sing.